Today is the last sermon in our series on superheroes. By now, you should know that God wants to use you uh, to make a difference. God wants to use you to do something different in the world around us. And when you join together with uh, with your super unique abilities with the, and form a super team with the supervision, guess what? God will make a super impact in the world around us. Uh, he will just do that. And when I think about a superhero that makes a super impact, I think of the Batman. Uh, you know, I could have used the Hulk, but they didn't have a big green shirt that I could morph into. So I thought maybe the Batman. Here's the reason why. Batman does not have any superpowers. He has none whatsoever. But what he has is a, is a supreme intellect, and he has the ability to pull all everything together. He uses everything at his disposal, his intellect, his wit, his physical skills, plus all the gizmos and gadgets and dumafloxies and whatchamacallits uh, that he has. And he has all these neat vehicles, you know, cars and, and motorcycles and airplanes and, and boats. He uses everything at his disposal, and then he pulls it together to combat crime and, and confront evil in the city of Gotham City. He, is, he makes a super impact by using everything at his disposal. Now, I don't want you to leave here this morning and think I'm comparing God to Batman. Okay, I'm not. But I want you to know that God will take every one of us everything about us, and if we will work with him, guess what? He will make a super impact in our community. He will, he will take everything at his disposal, and he will use it for his glory and for his honor. God can take a super team of super unique individuals that have a supervision and make a super impact in the world. But in order for that to happen, it's going to take every one of us getting involved in what God is doing in the world. Most of us, though, refuse to get involved. We're skeptical of the church. A lot of people look at the church and say, I just don't get it. A lot of people are angry with the church. Look, I'm the reason that a lot of people get angry at the church. You know, uh, so, so, so they, they get skeptical and they refuse to be involved in, in the church for whatever reason that is. But I want you to know, when the local church gets it right... When we embody the essence of Christ and we get it right in the community where God has placed us, people will step up and they will say there's something different about that church. Amen. There's something unique about that church. They may still be skeptical, but they're at least going to walk away and say, you know, there's something different. I'm going to check it out a little bit more. People will step up and notice the church. Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 kind of wraps up everything we've been talking about. It kind of gives us a good uh, summary of, of where we're going. Now, as you're turning to Ephesians chapter 4, I want to give you three reasons why I believe most of you, most of us, are not plugged in in the ministry here at Western Heights. The first reason is that you did not realize we had any needs. You just didn't realize we had any needs in the church. Second reason that you are not plugged in is because you are an American. I know that, that that surprises you that you say that. But you are an American. And here's the thing about an American. In America, we are free. Matter of fact, that's the big thing about America. We have free. We have liberty. We are free. We are autonomous. We don't want anybody telling us what to do, when to do it, or where to do it. We're free. 
We're autonomous, and we want to do whatever we want to do whenever we want to do it and go where we want to go. And so, so, so we, we, we are free. That's what the American dream is all about, about autonomy, about being separated from anybody else. We don't want somebody telling us what to do. And so this thing about volunteering in the church, this thing about getting connected into a body of church, the minute you do that, you lose your autonomy. Why is that? Because somebody has their claws in you. Somebody's counting on you. Somebody's depending on you. And you want to be the kind of person that if you want to get up on Sunday morning and go to church, you'll go. If you don't want to, you don't want to go. Why? Because you're free and you can make that decision. You don't have to worry about it. But the minute you volunteer for, uh, to be, I'll do something once a week or I'll do something once a month, guess what? You're no longer free. Because somebody is counting on you. Somebody is depending upon you to be involved in a ministry, in a project. So that's why you don't get involved because you're in America and in America, it's all about being free. It's about being autonomous. And we don't want anyone to have that. But I want you to know that God measures your freedom, not just by your, God measures success, not just by your, your freedom, but he measures your success by the way you are involved in a group of individuals. That's the way God measures your success. It's not about your freedom to do what you want. It's how are you using your newfound freedom to enslave yourself to something bigger than yourself. Because it ain't about you, whatever you think. It's about God's kingdom and what God would have to do. So second reason, you are an American. Third reason, you have forgotten that you are made for something more. You've just forgotten that you're made for more than just to exist. God has made you for a reason. And the only way that you're going to understand that, the only way you're going to understand what God has for you is when you are connected to the body of Christ. God does not view you as a, as, a, as, a, as a unique superhero operating autonomously from others. He sees you as a unique superhero involved with a super team to accomplish something that only the team can accomplish. It's not about you out there doing your own thing. He views you as an individual member of the body. So my hope is that this morning that, that you'll think about where you can get plugged in. You think about how you can use your unique talents in the kingdom of God. Because God is doing something in our church. God is doing something. Now maybe if you, if you only come on a Sunday morning at this time and you're not involved during the week, you don't know what God is doing. God is doing something in our church. And it may not even be that you can even see it in attendance. But there's something going on around us that God is doing. And in many ways, God is saying, hey, I'm doing something. Are you going to join me? Or are you just going to sit there and sit there? God says, join me. God has given us an opportunity to do something unique. God has given us an opportunity to join him in what he's doing. We can no longer see ourselves as consumers, but as producers. Hear me on that. We can no longer be consumers of God. We have to be producers. We can't be consumers in the church. We have to be producers in the church. So now, Ephesians chapter 4. Let me give you the context of Ephesians chapter 4. This is a new church. The church Paul started, uh, they, were, they didn't have the New Testament. You know, they didn't have all those teachings uh, that, that we have the benefit of today. So they were just trying to figure out, <clears throat> they were trying to figure this thing out that's called a church. What does it look like? You know, what are we supposed to be? So Paul writes them a letter trying to, to help them organize, help them get together in what a church 
is to be. So we, we pick it up and, and we look at verses 4 through 6 of, of Ephesians chapter 4. Notice what Paul says. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. The one thing that you see standing out in this passage, there's a lot of oneness going on here. There's a lot of one. What does Paul say? He said, one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. So even though we're individuals, even though we're, we're individuals and we have these unique gifts and talents, it, but there's a lot of oneness in the church. We may all be individuals, but we have a lot more in common than we originally thought. We have, we, have a, we have all these things in common with one another. And so, so, so we must understand this. That's what Paul's trying to say. Yeah, you're unique. Yeah, you're special. Yeah, you're gifted. But you have all this in common. Here's what Paul is saying as he writes these words. When you became a Christian, he's telling the Ephesians, when you became a Christian, God placed you in the body of Christ. When you became a follower of Jesus, He places you in the body of Christ. If you are a believer, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a part of the body of Christ. The local body, yes, and the universal body. But more importantly, the local body of believers. Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus who wants to be the church. Why? So they can impact the community of Ephesus. They can make a difference there. He goes on, look at verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. As you see that word grace there, in this particular context, grace means a special divine enablement, a gift. God has given each person a special divine enablement. We've all received from Christ a very special, narrow, divine enablement. Listen, there are specific things that you can do that I cannot do. There's specific things that I can do that you cannot do. That's the way God did it. That's the way God put it together. You can do things that I can do things. But when we pull all those gifts together, we can do so much more than we ever imagined that we could do. Here's the question I want to, uh, to drop on you. Why would Jesus divinely enable you to do something very narrow? You're not good at everything. Uh, you're not. Uh, I don't want to burst your bubble, but you're not good at everything. If you're really honest, you know, we're probably only good at a handful of things. Maybe two or three things at the most is what we're good with. Uh, we're not able to, you know, we're not all created with the same abilities. Aren't you, aren't you glad? I don't know what we do with the church full of preachers. <laughs> you know, nobody ever get word in edgewise. You know, I, I'm glad that we're not all created with the same abilities. We're not all able to do the same thing. But there's some things that we would never be able to do as individuals. I might not ever be able to do some things, and you might not ever be able to do some things. But everyone is gifted in a specific way so that they can be successful. Why did God do that? Why did God uniquely gift everybody with just a special, a divine enablement? Why did He do that? Why is it that, that, that some people can teach 
and others don't get bored. Uh, you know what I'm talking about, right? You sit in a class and you begin nodding off. In another class, you just can't wait until you hear every word. Why is it that, that, that some people ha have the ability to, to be generous and other people not so generous? Why is it that, that some people can be organized and other people disorganized? Why is it that, that some people can be patient and other people impatient? Why is it that people can be vision casters and other people are, are working in the field to make it sure it happens? Why is that? You know, administrators, people that are visionary and others who are administrators. Why did God make it that way? It's because of a divine enablement. That's the way God created you. That's the way God made you to be. So Paul is saying in this passage, within the context of the one, each of us has been individually gifted, and here's why God has done that. God has a plan, God has a purpose, and God has a mission for this world. And the only way it's going to be accomplished is the body of Christ coming together with all their unique parts, all their, their divine enablements, and working together to accomplish what He wants us to do. And when we do that, the Bible says we'll make a super impact that we'll be able to make a difference in this world. Paul gets very specific. Let's skip down to verse 11. Notice what it says. It was he, who's he? He's Jesus. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. So Paul, Paul is saying God has uniquely gifted certain individuals. These individuals are the gifts to God's church to do certain things. These are these individuals that God has given to the church. Look at verse 12. He says, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So he says, to prepare God's people. That's what's happening right now. I'm using the gift that God has given me to encourage you, to prod you, to motivate you to get into the game. But look at this. He goes on. To prepare God's people for works of service. There's that phrase I love. So that. It doesn't say so that the individual may be built up. He says, no. It's so that the body of Christ may be built up. It's not about you. It's about the body of Christ being built up. So God pulls these teachers, He pulls these pastors, these evangelists, these apostles, these individuals into the church to use their unique gifts to do what? To benefit the church. To benefit the church so it may grow up. Look at verse 13. Until... We all, he doesn't say until you reach, he says until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Paul say, look, God is up to something here. Uh, God is doing something amazing. Here's the principle I want you to get. What God did through the physical body of Jesus Christ, he wants to do through his church. That's what he's trying to communicate. That's what Paul is trying to say. When Jesus lived upon his earth, with his eyes he could see. With his hands he could lift. With his lips he could speak. 
And Paul is saying, if you will use your gifts individually together with others, that's what's going to happen in the world today. That's what's going to happen in this world in which we live. What we do as a church will reflect what Christ on his own did by himself. That's what Paul is trying to bring out. You see, when we come together as the, as the full body of Christ, what will happen is we will manifest His presence, we will demonstrate His love, and we will communicate His message to the world. That's what He's trying to tell us in this passage. When Jesus ascended to heaven, it was on purpose. He went there on purpose. But He said, I'm going to my Father. He said, but... When I leave, I'm going to distribute all my gifts. Jesus was the only person to ever be perfectly complete in himself. He had every gift, every talent, every ability. Every one of them. But he, when he went to heaven, he said, Now I'm going to distribute all my gifts to the various members of the body. Every one of them. I'm going to do that. Why did Jesus do that? Because when Jesus was upon the earth, he was limited by time and space. He could only be at one place at one time in one location. That's it. He couldn't be in multiple places at multiple times. He couldn't do it. So he says, I'm going to leave, but then I'm going to send the Holy Spirit upon you. And that Holy Spirit will enable you to do things. Only as you come together as the body of Christ. Now this is going to blow you away. If you look at this passage of Scripture and what Paul is saying, the closest we will ever get to the presence of Jesus is not when we are down on our knees in prayer. It's when we're all working together as the body of Christ. That's the closest we're ever going to get to Jesus. I know that, 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 that messes up with your theology. But he says what? Until we reach the whole, until, until attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. It's only as we're engaging with one another and in this body of Christ that we become the fullness of Christ. In and of ourselves, we are not the fullness of Christ. We are a part. And his image is in us. But it's not the fullness of Christ. When we are with his body and we are with a group of believers using our individual gifts together with others, that's where Jesus will be. That's when we will see the presence of Jesus. That will be when we see the power of Jesus in the world in which we live. He says, that's where I'll be. Jesus is saying, just as by my physical presence I reveal God, I will split up all my gifts, I will split up all my talents, and I will split up all my abilities among all my people, and then I will bring those gifts together into a body of believers, and they will be able to accomplish great things. Why? Because the body of Christ has come back together. Jesus said the same thing in John chapter 14. He says, hey, if you're a follower of me, you're going to be able to do great things. Matter of fact, he goes on later on that passage. As a matter of fact, you'll be able to do more than I could have ever done. Does that not blow your mind a little bit? Why is that? Time and space. Time and space. Jesus can be in multiple cities at multiple times doing multiple ministries because of the body of Christ that's in every community 
that God has made. And the Bible says that when that happens, people say, hmm, there's something going on here. I'm seeing something in this church that I'm not seeing anywhere else in the world. You know what that is? It's the body of Christ. It's Jesus working through his people to accomplish what only Jesus can do. And when that happens, you know what people say? They go, wow, this is awesome. I've never seen anything like this before. Has anybody ever said that about our church? Why is that? It's because we're not working together. It's because we're not representing the body of Christ. The only way anybody will ever step up and say, this is awesome. I'm experiencing something different here. It's when we all come together and make a super impact for the kingdom of God. Listen, the focus on the New Testament is on individuals using our gifts in tandem, creating an environment where anyone, believers, non-believers, and skeptics can come together and experience the body of Christ. That's what the New Testament is all about. It's not about you out there doing your own thing, going your own way. It's about the body of Christ coming together. And people walk away from that. And they've been touched by the presence of God because they've seen the body of Christ at work. Uh, you, you could say it this way. We are individually gifted, but we are corporately commissioned. Individually gifted, corporately commissioned to do what only the body can do. God gave you gifts. God gave me gifts. But when we come together and use our gifts as God designed them, then we reflect Jesus. And we will demonstrate to the world what Jesus looks like. Look at verse 14 and 15. Then, the then in that passage refers back to what he just talked about. You know, when we get all these things coming together, so the body of Christ may be built, it may be reach unity and faith, so that we'll become the full measure of fullness of Christ. Then... He says, when that happens, we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things, what? Grow up into Him who is the head that is Christ. He says that when we come together, that's when we reach maturity. That, that's when we really become what Christ intended for us to be. This is the teaching he wants us to get, get, help us understand. When we engage our gifts with other people in the body of Christ, we will individually grow up along with all of those around us. But we would never be the body of Christ if we're not doing it together. It just won't happen. Paul continues in verse 16. From him, the whole body, not you, from him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as what? Each part does its work. This is what Paul is bringing about. Here's the truth that we get in this passage. Your spiritual growth, your spiritual maturity, 
Your health as a follower of Jesus Christ hinges on your willingness to participate in the body of Christ. You see, it's not about sitting around in a worship service and taking notes. That's important. But that's not what your spiritual growth is about. Your spiritual growth is about this. How are you taking what you're hearing from teachers and preachers and applying it in your life to make a difference in the world around you? Listen, if you're not applying what I'm telling you today, guess what? You're just a sponge. You're soaking it up, but you're not giving anything out in return. There has to be orthodoxy. I think it was Augustine that said this. There has to be right teaching along with right practice. He says, if there is no right practice, then guess what? You don't have the right teaching. Because right teaching permeates right actions. And if you're not, if you're not living out what you're hearing, then you're not growing. Because you're not applying the truth of God's Word to your individual life and to the life of the church. Now don't get mad at me. Get mad at Paul. That's what Paul is saying in this passage. He said, if you're just sitting around and you're taking notes and, and you're going home and you're not engaged and you're not participating and you're not serving in the church, he said, your growth is going to be stunted if you're not engaged in the ministry. There's an illustration of this. Let's suppose that there's a little boy, a little girl, at seven years old, they get their hand cut off. Okay? They lose their hand. And then the little child grows up, and later on that hand is reattached. Now that hand is going to be withered and small, and it may even be skeletal. And it's saying, why is that? Because the growth of the hand depended upon being attached to the body. That's the way it works in the physical world. Why do we think all of a sudden that if you're a, an arm and you detach yourself from the body that you're going to grow? Jesus, God, Paul says it's the same way in the physical world as it is in the spiritual world. Your growth is contingent upon being attached to the body and serving in your function in the church. Paul is saying you got to be attached. Your personal growth hinges on it. Your maturity as a Christian hinges on it. You will only be able to grow as far as your gift is engaged, as far as you are plugged in. And when you find your place in the kingdom of God, when you find your place in the ministry of the church, when you find your place in the body, guess what? It's amazing what God can do. It is amazing what God can do in a church like that. Many of you just, you can't buy into it. You know, for many of you saying, yeah, but preacher, I love my freedom. I love my autonomy. I love to be able to do whatever I want to do, whatever I want to do, and however I want to do it. But there's still something missing in your life. There's still something you can't quite put your finger on what it is. You know, if you were honest, you'd say, you know, preacher, I know exactly what you're talking about. I remember my time in my life when I was much more engaged in the church. A time when I was much more involved than I am now. And it seemed like at that time I was growing. I was connected. I was really enjoying my relationship with Christ. Now I just feel like I'm going through the motions. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And maybe time has affected you. Maybe you got mad at somebody, mad at a preacher, or mad at a teacher, or mad at a deacon, or maybe you just got mad at yourself. Maybe you got mad at God. And you pull back. 
And now you're just a consumer and you're not a producer. You know, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Some of you know exactly where it is. Some of you have objections. I don't think too many in this room, but some of you might have an objection. Say, well, I'm, I'm a new Christian and I don't know where I'm supposed to be. And here's the good news. Being a new Christian does not disqualify you. It's your giftedness that qualifies you. Nowhere in the Bible say a new Christian has to, has to set aside and wait until after one year and then they can get involved in the body of Christ. We're trying to eliminate that policy in our church, by the way. Because usually what I've discovered, new Christians are more excited about the church than old Christians. And I want to say, put me in, coach. I'm ready to play. We want to find a way to get them plugged in. They say, I'm a new Christian. I don't know anything. I said, well, we can help you. We can help you. For others of you, you said, you know, I just don't have the time. You know, I've got too much going on. I, I just don't, don't have the time to do that. Uh, can, do any of us really have extra time on our hands? Uh, not any of us. Let me get to the heart of the matter. It, it's not that you don't have time. It's you don't want to make a commitment. That's the truth. You have all the time, especially if you're retired. What else are you doing? Sitting around in your pajamas and working the crossword puzzles? You know? You know sitting at home and watching superhero movies and wishing you were one? <laughs> what are you doing? You know, you know, we don't have time. Let me tell you something. If you choose not to get plugged in, if you choose not to be involved in the local church, guess what? The kingdom of God is going to continue. It's going to keep on going. It doesn't matter if you do or if you don't. It isn't do or die, but for your sake. And I want you to listen to me. This is where you put yourself with God. You're telling us, yo, God, I'm so happy you blessed me in my life. I'm so happy that you've given me my, 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 my job. I'm so happy that you've given me my friends. I'm so happy that you've given me my family, my wife, my, my children, or my husband and my children. God, I'm so happy that you, that, that you, you, you blessed me with a great home. And, and Lord, would you just keep on giving? Just keep on giving. God, Lord, just pour it on me. Just pour it on me, God, because I'm so blessed. And you know, Lord, you know, now that you've been pouring it on me so much, you know, I've got that second house. And you know, now God, I, I've, got, I've got this opportunity that's coming for me. And Lord, I don't really have time to be a part of what you're doing because you've blessed me so much, God. But would you just keep on doing it? You know what you're telling God? Take the blessing away from me. That's what you're telling God. Because you are blaming God for the reason you're not involved because he's blessed you too much. Now, I'm being facetious, or am I? You are putting yourself in a dangerous position with God. But you ultimately know, look, we can be consumers of God. Amen? We, we can be consumers of God. I don't think any of us want that. None of us want to be consumers. God has given us our gifts. He's given us our talents and our abilities so that we can do something that will have an eternal impact in His kingdom. And it will be something so significant, so powerful, that it will cause our community to stand up and take notice. It will blow the minds off of people when they see the church 
in action. Why is that? Because when the church is in action and the church gets it right, what we've done is we've manifested the presence of God in our community as the body of Christ. But listen, until we do that, we are just going to be a church going through the motions. Oh, we'll gather and we'll see a few things happening now and then. But for the most part, we're just taking up space. And you know what? I'd rather God call me home than do that. Just call me home. Because I'm sure there's sweet streets up in heaven that need to be swept. Won't be any preaching in heaven. Won't be any teaching in heaven. You know what we're going to do in heaven? We want to worship God. That's what we're going to do. And somehow we'll serve Him. I don't know what that will look like. You know, maybe some of us will, you know, be plumbers in heaven. I don't know. Are you plugged in? Because in the next few months and years, you're going to be seeing the church, hopefully the church will transform so that we can get out of our seats and into the streets and doing ministry and doing ministry in the church and outside the church. And I'm going to be looking for everybody to be a part of a team, doing something. It may be something very simple. It may be something more difficult. Why? Because I want this church, I want Western Heights Baptist Church to be the body of Christ at 6301 Bosque Boulevard where God has placed us. And then radiating from here to the hearts of the people. Because I believe that's God's purpose. I believe that God's, that's God's vision for this church. And I won't take no as an answer. I'll be coming to you and say, how are you plugged in? What are you doing? Here's something you can do. Can you write a thank you card? Can you write a greeting card? Can you pray? Can you call this individual? Can you do that? Every one of us has a task, a, a function that we can do. We're going to have a time of invitation. We're not going to drag it out, Kip. I think we'll just close in prayer. We're such a small, good-looking group this morning. And I use that term loosely. <laughs> not small, good-looking. Uh, you know, I, I hope y'all want a reflection of me because <laughs> we could be in trouble. All right? But I'd like to pray for you. I'd like to pray for our church. And then we'll be dismissed to go into Sunday school. All right? Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. God, your word is true. God, I don't think we many times understand that. Father, we like to pick and choose what we like in the Scripture. We love that one that says the Lord is with us always to the very end of the earth. We love that one, Father. We love the one that says, my peace I give to you, not as a world Father, we love the fact that you'll give us grace. Father, you'll give us mercy. But Father, could it be that you've given us grace and your mercy so, Father, that we can demonstrate that to the earth around us? Father, we don't like to hear this idea that we're supposed to be plugged.